And we are live back with another episode of Shifting the Narrative on Everything Autism. I'm Torin Kearns, and as usual, I'm joined by the autism sage herself, Mama Babin. How are you? I'm good. It's a beautiful day. I got some sunshine today, and I'm excited about our podcast episode today. Well, today we have a very special episode. And by special, I mean we basically came up with this about two hours beforehand. So considering that, I'm actually shocked we managed to get this thing together so quickly. Well, you got it together so quickly. That's good. It's all good. So, you know, it's really funny when I, I was trying to sort of get the information we needed for this podcast. I was like, ooh, what should we call this? And I was like, ooh, we can call it Ask an Autistic. And I was like, ooh, I don't know. Is that bad? Is that good? Is that not good? And I was like, well, there's things where you say, ask a mom, ask a doctor, ask a nurse. If we are talking about full inclusion, then ask an autistic. So I wanted to ask you, <laughs> Torin, what do you think about that? Is that like bad? You know, it's gotten to the point, Torin, that sometimes I'm like second guessing. Can I say that? Can I not say that? Is that bad? Wait, yeah. I'm the one being asked these questions? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's the part That's the part I didn't know. When I said, yes! when I said which last night was doing Q&A, the assumption was it'd be questions for you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. So here, so this is a really good example of how miscommunication, right? Of not communicating concretely. So I, no, I love it. I love the spontaneity <laughs> of it. I'm not going to lie. I love this. Uh, so Torin and I, for those of you who are listening, Torin and I, um, we did a webinar for parents for this nonprofit on puberty. And there were some really great questions. And within the webinar or shortly after, I get a message from Torin that says, hey, we should do a Q&A um, for the podcast. I'm like, oh, that's a great idea. And then time goes by, time goes by. And then, of course, we realize, oh, wait, podcast, it's time to record the podcast. Um, we Do we want to do the Q&A? I said, yes, great. I interpret it as, oh, people ask Torin such great questions during the webinar. Let's get more questions for Torin. Apparently, that's not what you thought this was, did you? Well, see, my, the reason I didn't think that is because I'm thinking, who the hell want to ask me questions? You're uh, like the expert of the two. Like, honestly, that's what I thought. So I'm like, who the hell wants to hear what I have to say? I, I mean, I, I love answering questions. I don't mind at all. So and, um, this, you know, this is live, folks. It is. And, and, and I know that you don't always get to. I sometimes share the feedback. But my, my parents, they just love when you give insight. They just love, I mean, they're like, oh, when I said to two of my parents on The Secret, who the special guest was going to be at the webinar, I mean, my mom in Australia, she's like, Torrin's going to be there? Oh, I'm going to show up. Like she like arranged her schedule to make sure that she could um, listen. Uh, people, I say all the time, I think the combination of both of us gives a little bit of, um, well, it gives different perspectives, but you and I are aligned, um, but we have enough differ in a perspective to have good conversation. Um, so are you ready for the first question? Yeah, and, and obviously since I'm shocked by this too, you can clearly tell I, I don't know any of these questions ahead of time. I purposely asked not to hear the questions because I like the, it, so a lot of autistic people, I'm going on a tangent. A lot of autistic people hate job interviews mm. because of the questions, for whatever reason, I love them. And it's actually a problem because I'm good at them. So I talk myself, routinely talk myself into jobs I'm completely unqualified for. And then that will then show as soon as I have to actually start doing the job. But I love like getting the questions and being able to be like Johnny on the spot, the answers and knowing what people want to hear and like be, kind of being a little bit of a performer. I don't know. I've always loved that. So I get excited when, when I'm about to hear some questions, I get the okay. answer. 
Good. Well, I will tell you, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but the majority of people who get jobs are pretty much saying whatever they want. <laughs> no, literally, that's what job today. interviews are. So these the autistic people exactly. With it. Exactly. But that's a that's a that's a podcast for another date. We should actually yeah. probably do in the near future. Oh, yeah, that since that really is quick. pretty relevant. A lot of teenagers who are looking for jobs. But mm -hmm. let's get started with the first question. Okay. And I like this question as an opener. Did you go through a period um, where you did not want anyone to know that you were autistic? And if so, how did you navigate that? And I guess maybe they want to know, was it, a, I'm thinking, was there a stage in your life where you didn't want to talk about it? Or are there certain times or circumstances where you wish no one knew, or you feel like you don't want to reveal, or however it is, I'm going to stop. Um, well, there was never a period where I didn't want anybody to know, but that's partly because as I've talked about on this podcast, growing up, I had a father who saw me as sort of the broken thing. Mm -hmm. So he never let me forget that there was something wrong with me. So it becomes part of your identity and not in a good way. Mm -hmm. I would say there's always times when you don't want people to know. To, to tie it back to the random tangent I just went on, so I'm glad you asked that question. <laughs> never, I never tell a boss I'm autistic, yeah. ever. Ever, 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 ever. Because see, in America, they don't have to give you a reason to fire you or not to hire you. They can just fire you for any reason. You're technically not allowed to do it, to, to discriminate. Mm -hmm. But since you don't have to give a reason, you are allowed just to fire just because. Yeah, It's it's sort of a loophole that makes it so bosses could be racist or homophobic or ableist. It's kind of a gigantic loophole that probably should be filled. Yeah. So boss, never tell them. Um, that I'm autistic. Uh, if I'm, let's say I'm trying to talk to a female who I might be interested in, I'm definitely not saying that's about the most unsexy thing I could possibly say, short of like, I have herpes. Corin, you should make autism sexy. Bring sexy it's back. Not, it's not, and it never will be. I I'm sure somebody wants to try that. Good for them. That person probably doesn't have trouble picking up members of the opposite sex. I do. I have enough stuff going against me. I look like a thumb. I started going bald when I'm 20. <laughs> I have this like thick, almost comically like stereotypical New York accent. Yeah. Like the last thing I need is to all say, oh, by the way, I have a disorder that most people associate with like grunting and screaming and crying and having the mind of a three-year-old. So those are times when obviously I don't want people to know I'm autistic. Mm-hmm. And both of those examples have issues because let's say you're at a job and one of my struggles like sensory or mm -hmm. I'm not the quickest to pick up on new things comes up. If they don't know that I'm autistic, they just think I'm being lazy or I'm an idiot. Mm -hmm. And that's caused me to lose jobs, for example, caused me to get chewed out. I've had issues in relationships because I don't want to tell them I'm autistic. But then when I do weird stuff, they're like, what the hell is wrong with you? Yeah. Um, those are sort of the only two examples I could really think of. Other than that, I'm pretty, I've always been pretty open with my diagnosis because mm -hmm. it is part of who I am. And it's not something that like I'm particularly ashamed of mm -hmm. because I've tried to reclaim that because of my upbringing, because everybody telling me everything that's wrong with me. Mm -hmm. But yeah, there are certain practical times when it's not a good idea to say. Yeah. And, and I would, I would say to the listeners that, you know, this is Torrin's experience. And I think that everybody, I think that 
in my experience, um, a lot of people will either reveal or not reveal certain things just for safety reasons. You know, you're a black male, people see you as a black male in America. So there's a lot of things that walking and navigating America as a tall black male, um, you don't want to add, right? To the people check- don't see me as a black male. I am a black dude. Like, <laughs> it, 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 it doesn't, like, you can't see, but I'm, I'm, I'm scraping my forehead. It doesn't come off. No, it doesn't come off. Um, and, and I, you know, Torn, I think the reason I say that is because a lot of times uh, during this time, there's so much diversity it's really based on how people see you. Like some people see you as this, some people see you as, you know, some people view whatever their viewpoint is on on what they see in skin color. Um, What I would like to really ask based on what you said is, so what happens in, because I'm always talking about advocating in the job, right? So at what point do you feel if you get a job and you feel you like the job, if you need to advocate yourself for yourself based on sensory or whatever. So how do people navigate, how do you navigate that if you don't say, like, is it, do you have to really, really want the job enough to take that risk? Is that like, how do you navigate that? So you Uh, don't lose the job. Well, um, (laughs) for one thing, I'm not sure about you and listeners, but um, I like money. Mm -hmm. Like I like having, being able to have a roof over my head and Mm -hmm. having food. I like food a lot. I'm I'm quite a large individual, not just in height. so I, I like not being broke. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, I'm thinking of the Dave Chappelle skit. Have you ever seen oh. Chappelle show? Yes. yes. So you know when he's like, "I'm broke, nigga, I'm broke." Yeah. yeah. So when he's doing the job interview, like yeah, like that. That's usually the motivation. I need the money. So there's yeah. that. Okay. And yeah. as for navigating it, I, in my opinion, don't particularly navigate well. Generally, I don't say anything unless I'm about to be fired. Mm-hmm. I'm yeah. just being honest. Like, honest, this could get me canceled. Like, I joke about that a lot. What I'm about to say could legitimately get me canceled. When I was in college, I worked in the dining hall. And I usually work dish room, which Mm -hmm. is great for a lot of autistic people because um, you're in the back. You don't have to interact with people. You can kind of work at a nice rhythm pace. You're sort of doing the same thing over and over. Mm -hmm. But my Sunday morning shift sucked. Mainly because I was usually hungover from the night before, but also because I was stuck with four people who were also hungover and didn't want to be there and would just complain all the time. And it just so happened of the five people on shift, I was doing mail. And I stupidly said, and this was like not 10 years ago, probably eight, seven, eight years ago. I think I uttered one day that like I found that the female workers complain the most about being in this room because it's hot, noisy, and dirty. Mm-hmm. That it's a dish room. Mm-hmm. They prefer being out front, being where they could serve food and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I found, and I also added that, like the women who do, the few women who do like being in there are some of the best workers. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I said this out loud. It's one of those things where, yeah. as an autistic person, you learn there's certain things you're not supposed to say out loud. Yeah. Let's say one of the people reported me, and she reported me because she had a grudge because she was friends with some girl I'd been involved with, which I did not know. So college is just like high school, just so you know. College so is just like, I, yes, yes. That was the workplace. So is corporate America. Yeah, it never like gets better. So nope. because of that, because of some drama that I'm not going to go into, she reports mm-hmm. me. They call me in. First, they would have fired me on the spot. College mm-hmm. is very liberal. Not that's a bad thing. I'm just saying. Yeah. I probably should have been fired. The only reason they even gave me a chance to explain myself is because I was really good at the job and no one wanted to work this room and I did. Oh. And they, so I had some value. That's another thing. The more value you have, the more they'll let you get away with stuff at the workplace, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. And they said, 
what were you thinking saying this? And I said, I knew I was in trouble. I've been listening, I'm autistic. I didn't know any better, which is true. But I totally played the autism card. And I promised never to do that again. They're like, well, we understand. Just don't do that again, please. Um, so that's so generally, if I'm about to get canned for something I did wrong, mm-hmm. I'll generally pull the autism card out. Mm-hmm. To mix results, usually it works because I'm usually good at my job mm-hmm. and I work hard. And they know it'll be hard to find somebody who can work as hard as me, who's willing to put in the hours and the effort mm-hmm. and the discipline to get better at the job. So some of that's just, ha- just making yourself indispensable. Yeah. But that also varies because it depends on the job. If you're working a job, anyone can do. If you're working, like, in, for example, if, you're, if I was a server mm-hmm. in the same dining hall, I would have been fired. Because yeah. everyone wants to serve it. It's a nice, easy job you can do to have beer money. Yeah. No one wanted to work this year. Yeah, that was the difference. The fact that I want work this room saved me, not the fact that I was autistic. So mm-hmm. that's a roundabout way of saying I don't necessarily handle it well, but I don't think there is a necessarily good way to handle it. Mm-hmm. Because let's say you work in the tech field, you work for Google, you can just in the interview just say, "Listen, I'm autistic." That might get you hired. Mm-hmm. Wonder why? Because not most people aren't that good at tech. Yeah, if you're a mathematician, that might get you hired because mm-hmm. most people aren't good at math. It yeah. doesn't matter if you're autistic. As long as you're competent and good at your job, you're yeah. hard to replace. If you work at Mickey D's, you say you're autistic, you might not get the job. Mm-hmm. If you say you're autistic when you have a job, they might fire you. Because there's a bunch of people waiting to take that job. Mm-hmm. Even though fast food is not easy whatsoever. It's actually a very difficult job. Yeah. But you get my point. Yeah. So so it's important to capitalize on our kiddos' skills, foster their skills and strengths so that they have something of value to offer so that they don't get fired. <laughs> yes. No, exactly. Yeah, I'm yeah. glad you put it that way. Exactly. When you see all these autistic people who give trainings, which I think it's great. They give sense sensitivity training, things like that, for lack of a better word. It's always like IBM, mm-hmm. Intel. It's never like at Target. Yeah. It's never at, at like places I at, at like the, at like the local gym, mm-hmm. the places I've had to work because I don't have any of those select skills mm-hmm. because those people don't care. They're not hiring sensitivity trainers. Like they yeah. don't care. The, the person's weird and doesn't do what they want. They'll fire yeah. them and hire. There's 50 people waiting to take their job. Yeah. So like you said, foster something that makes them valuable. Mm-hmm. And that's that's awful to say, but capitalist society, that, that's just how it goes. Yeah. Foster something and encourage them to try to get into a field where they'll be valued. They're valued they'll get more rope to be their yeah. authentic self. It yeah. sucks, but that's just the reality. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. So those I... special interests, by the way, those, spen- mm-hmm. those, those special interests, yep. that might be an avenue. Yep. You know, I always say kids who line up things, I'm like, that is the kid that may cure cancer because they're willing to hyper-focus and see that minimal difference of those Legos being specifically a half a millimeter apart that's the person I want working on they, my they, life. They might be the accountant that makes it so that billionaire only has to pay $750 in That's taxes it. over a decade. That's it. Those people are valuable. You think yes. those billionaires do their own taxes? Hell no. They find someone to find all the loopholes. They don't have to pay taxes like the rest of us peasants. Of course. Of course. That's a lucrative job. Yes. So I have a, um, speaking of which, um, okay, I'll save that for another podcast. This next question kind of actually- is No, actually, shoot, shoot, shoot. What were you going to say? I was going to mention that when you talked about job skill, um, there is there was a story years ago about an autistic woman who worked and prepped the trays for the surgery. And nobody wanted to do it because it's boring and tedious, but she loved lining things up and making things nice and neat and making them focus and she could do it repetitively over and over and didn't have to communicate with anybody. That's a value. 
nobody else wants to exactly. do exactly. I'm glad calls. you I'm glad you brought that up because exactly <laughs> that's that's something that it might not seem obvious, but it had there's a market for it. Yes. I I, th- I heard a mom speak years ago and she said that because her and her son opened a her son liked to fold clothes and they grew up he grew up and they opened a laundromat and take in laundry for uh college kids so he makes a living based off of his sensory stem (laughs) because college kids don't want to fold their own stuff they don't even do their own laundry speak from experience so i think that she i remember her saying parents need to stop looking at a college degree a doctor lawyer or all these other things that you know the 10 careers we look at as jobs for our children and not make it so that you know, he's an, he's a part owner in a laundromat and someone may look at, oh, all he can do is fold clothes. No, all he can do is run a business and take care of himself and make money. It's not about a title. It's not about, oh, you know, the girl who does the surgery. That's an important job for somebody to make sure those trays are aligned right. You know, you could, I was also talking to a family about their son, maybe learning that skill, fostering his skills. Like, hey, do you know a dentist? Ask a dentist if maybe he can, can help with that, right? Making the dental trays. Like, there are things that are valuable, even though they seem tedious and boring to us and mean that we may not find value in that job, but that person takes pride in getting those surgery trays just right for the, for the doctors. So just want to throw that out there. Now, next question is, so after all of that, <laughs> what was the key thing that helped you learn how to advocate for yourself? I actually think I know the answer to this, but I'm curious to know what you're going to say. Like, what was the thing that made you realize I'm really going to have to like advocate and stand up for myself in situations? That's a good question. Uh I I actually don't know. Hopefully you have a better answer than me. I sort of, I don't want to say I've always been like this. That's a cop out, but I kind of have. I just have a very brash personality. I guess- Harley was my dad. My dad's very boisterous personality, and he would do a lot of yelling and stamping mm-hmm. his feet, especially at schools and things like that when, when I wasn't treated well. And same thing with my mom. She was a very big, outgoing personality. So I think that was part of it, mm-hmm. where I just inherited it, and that's why I grew up around. Mm-hmm. But I think I'm sort of naturally like that. And then also, when you grow up with the circumstances I have, which weren't great, at a certain point, no one is going to advocate for you. You mm-hmm. have to be able to advocate for yourself. When you grow up with some privilege, I hate to bring it up. When you grow up with some privilege, people are more understanding. You could be mm-hmm. like, um, please, sir, may, may I have some accommodations? And they'll be like, sure, sure. When you grow up in the projects, you got to be like, motherfucker, I need some accommodations. Yeah, yeah. And you got to say that. You got to bang your fist on the desk. And you yeah. got to do the legwork, literally, sometimes. When I was in college, running from building the build, academic building, my college campus was three miles in circumference. And mm-hmm. it's just running from academic building to academic building, demanding that I get the supports I need, things like that. No one's going to do it for, for you. I went to school 600 miles away from home. No one was coming up and doing it for me. Mm-hmm. Like I had to do it myself. So I think s- some of it's my parents who never directly taught me how to advocate, but they're just who they were as people. Mm-hmm. And then some of it's me that like, I had yeah. to do it. It was either do it or go without. And a lot of times I did go without. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's interesting you say that, Torin, um, because I was thinking the same thing in regards to what I thought your answer would be that you didn't have a choice, right? Because your parents didn't necessarily teach you how to advocate for it. However, um, 
you know, I'm always telling parents, you know, you advocate, you're modeling, your children see you, they learn to advocate for themselves. But we also know the reality of even if we look outside of, you know, an autistic individual, some people never advocate for themselves. They just never do, right? They're always sort of like not asking for what they need. However, um, for our kiddos case, right, growing into adulthood or just being kids, advocating is important. I find that it's interesting and insightful that you said your parents didn't directly teach you. Um, they just were who they were. Um, I've heard you share stories of even though your dad was negative and, and sort of saying those things that he said, there there's a, a couple of times when your dad really stood up for you. Um, a lot of the time. Like, yeah. that's the weird thing about my dad. It's he was a really shitty person, but like he did really care about me and did the best he could in his own way. And he, yes, yeah, so a lot of times he was yelling at, on the phone with school, with school boards. He would go talk to the principal constantly. At one point, he actually sued the school, him and his parents. They were doing a bunch of illegal stuff. So seeing that definitely did help me. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of times I don't advocate for myself. I, I'm better now that I'm older. Mm-hmm. But obviously, as you get older, you just get better at advocating for yourself. Well, Hopefully yeah. you do. Some people just don't. And that's not just an autistic thing. Some people just don't. Yeah. But I, I, I have tons of examples of me not advocating. One that comes to mind immediately is when I was in school, one year we had one of my English professors. I majored in creative writing. So I had a bunch of English professors. So I forget which exact class this was. But we had this lady who, and this is going to once again be a little politically incorrect, kind of looked like Think of like your stereotypical like second wave feminism like lesbian. Mm-hmm. So like short hair, white lady, mm-hmm. kind of butch, short hair, mm-hmm. deeper than normal voice, mm-hmm. older because I said second wave. So like, like she was probably like 50s, 60s in age to time and very old school teacher, like yeah. to the point where it's like you have to remember poems. Like for the final, we had a test where we had to remember a poem Every word and the punctuation is correct. We got marked wrong if we missed the punctuation. Like she was like, in fact, she would rant about how she's, she would say, well, some people say that like root memorization doesn't work. It's old school. I disagree with that. In this class, we're going to have a lot of root memorization. Like really like, like, like the villain in like a kid's show type stuff. So I did have, uh, so we'd have these things, we'd have these uh, pop quizzes. Uh-huh. So she had those too, pop quizzes. And that was, I think, the first time in my life I ever had a pop quiz because they're so outdated. By that, uh-huh. Even by that point, I was like, we were all, all me and all the other students, like, they still do that stuff. And I would do terrible on them, mainly just because I'm a slow writer. So even though I knew the information, they, she only gave you like 10 minutes to write a lot. So I never could finish it. So that definitely affected my grade. And at the end of the class, like after the class is over, mm-hmm. um, I passed the class, by the way. Mainly because I cheated on the final. <laughs> Listen, if they can give us pop quizzes, I can cheat. So I passed because I cheated on the final. She didn't know that. But um, I came up to her and I was like, thanks for the class. It was really interesting. I'm sorry I didn't do better. I just, I, I didn't do well. I didn't have enough time on the pop quizzes. I'm autistic. I don't process things as well. And she stops mm-hmm. and goes, you're autistic. I'm like, yeah. It's like, why didn't you say something the first day of class? I'm like, I wasn't sure. She's like, my son's autistic. I would have given ah. you more time. I'm like, well, shit. Yeah. So my my whole spirit, my whole three months was made harder because I was afraid to speak up because yeah. I just assumed that she wouldn't have cared because ah, everything else I just no. said, she was, 
older individual, old school, kind of angry. Oh, it was a, it was a, it was a uh, world literature class, but Ew. because of who she was, it had a strong like old school feminism bend to it, like an angry uh, like I hate men feminism. Yeah. I was one of like three dudes in a class, which sounds awesome, but when you're the only dude in a class of like thirty nine angry. Like angry fe- college feminists, it's a very uncomfortable experience. We're still getting canceled. <laughs> so that's why I didn't say anything. But that's just off the top of my head, example of me not advocating and it hurting me. I got I probably got two letter grades lower than I would have. Those pop quizzes destroyed my grades. I did well on the test. Got it. Yeah. I hated pop quizzes. <sighs> I do not like pop quizzes. All right. Speaking of pop quizzes, what was the key thing? I feel like I'm on a game show. What was the key thing that helped you learn how to advocate for yourself? Didn't we just ask that? Oh, but it, okay, wait, wait. Sorry. What were, I'm so sorry. I was looking at one question and I moved my questions and I should have kept them where they were. Rewind, rewind. What were things that educators did right to help make you successful? What are some things that some educators did right? <laughs> nothing. Absolutely nothing. Okay, okay. I'm not going to be cool. I've had some very good teachers and professors. I'm still friends with them. Mostly in college. I have few. I have few creative writing professors who mm-hmm. were great. One of them was Professor Linda Loomis. I believe like she's been retired. She retired. She was already partially retired mm-hmm. when she had me as a student, but I think she's fully retired now. And she was great just because she was very patient. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was in college, I had a lot of anger issues. At mm-hmm. one point, she told me to, she told the class, uh, she gave class an assignment to write a letter to someone you were grateful for. Oh, wow. And at that time, it just happened to be, it was a morning class and the night mm-hmm. before, my dad called me, disowned me for like, I don't know, third or fourth time. He would periodically, every few weeks, he called me up, just call me all sorts of names, remind me how awful the human being I am. And how like I wasn't his son. Don't bother coming home. That just happened every other every uh, few weeks or so. Apparently, this owned somebody multiple times. I didn't know. Ah! Anyway, so this was the morning after one of those calls. So I was in a pretty pissy mood. So I wrote like I was on some emo stuff. Where I'm just like I have no one to be grateful for. I hate my dad. Yeah, yeah. I hate this class stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was being all I was being like a middle school like all pissy ah. and stuff. And I was like 19, so I was being very immature. And she called me over after class. I'm like, oh, she's probably pissed. And she was just like, are you okay? Is everything fine? Mm-hmm. I explained to her. I'm like, listen, my dad's, I'm, I'm having issues with my dad, yada, yada, yada. And just her understanding. Yeah. And she was, a, she, I shouldn't say was, she's still around. I still talk to her. Wonderful soul. Like mm-hmm. whenever on Friday night she'd volunteer, there was like a big like uh, party or event that was happening on campus. Since the college I went to was a drinking campus with a college problem. There would be like built-in days of the week where everyone would just go get drunk. Not like a regular Friday, but like actual events, like bar crawls and stuff. Mm-hmm. So she would volunteer if anyone needed a ride, they wouldn't drive drunk. She was very nice. So just her and just her passion for teaching yeah, and her patience, she was great. Another one was uh, Professor Donna Steiner, who's another creative writing professor. She, I think, just retired, I think, this past semester. So congrats, if you're listening to this, congratulations. Mm-hmm. Um, she was great because the first time I tried to get in her class, I didn't have credits, enough credits, mm-hmm. because I was always behind in credits because how registration worked is you got to register for the next semester's class first based off how many credits you had already, which oh. took advantage to people who went to like elite high schools who had college credits coming in. 
and people who could take like six or seven courses a semester. I couldn't, I had neither of those. I only, I took like the minimum, that's all I could handle. And I went to special ed, so I had no incoming credit. So I was always yeah. behind. So I could never get in her class. So mm-hmm. I asked her if there was, I explained the situation, I asked her if there was inception. And she told me, I forget the exact email, basically, uh, this email is so poorly, first of all, I can't do that. Second of all, this email is so poorly written. And this is a creative writing class, nonfiction class, an advanced one, that you're clearly not ready for this class. I suggest you work on the email and spend the next semester working on your emails, sending your emails. And that was important to me. Yeah. Because the thing is, I sent the email at four in the morning, half awake and very, very drunk. Mm-hmm. Because I just didn't put any thought in the, in the sending emails and stuff. And that helped me write more professional emails. Helps me with this yeah. podcast where I'm sending out feelers, trying to get guests on. Mm-hmm. And she ended up being an awesome teacher because by mm-hmm. the time I got in her class, I was, I did very well in the class. Mm-hmm. I learned a lot. My writing had really sort of taken a step up. Mm-hmm. And she's another one I still talk to. So I've had some really good educators. I had some phys ed teachers in high school. Mm-hmm. Victor Parashow, who's the head of our athletic department in high school. Which sounds fancy, athletic department, but we had like basically like four sports and a couple basketballs. But he, him encouraging me because I was just getting in athletics time. I was very unathletic. I was very mm-hmm. obese, and just encouraging me to just do my best yeah. and and like spurring me on and complimenting me for all the work I put in. Because I put in a lot of work despite not being athletic. That mm-hmm. sort of taught me that I can. I may not have the talent to some people, but I can sure as hell outwork them. Yeah. So I had a lot of really good teachers and professors. I had a lot of awful ones too, a whole lot of awful ones, but I had some really good ones that really helped shape. I had an English professor who he left after 11th grade and he wrote a note to every student, a different personalized note. And the one he wrote to me was talking about how I had a strong writer's voice. I should keep Mm -hmm. writing. And that's what encouraged me to become a writer. And that's why Mm -hmm. I blog now and I do screenwriting and things like that. That's one of the reasons that eventually led me to doing this podcast. So I, I've I've had some really good teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure if that's answering the question, but no, I I think it answered the question in in such a wonderful, beautiful way because I love examples and you know it just reminds me, Torin. I always say, and I think that's why I get so passionate and sometimes angry and extremely loud about what happens in school because I do know that teachers can make or break a student. Like one word from a teacher can encourage a student to shift and, and, and become motivated to be a doctor or a writer. And at the same time, another teacher can just like tear all that down. Uh, luckily, a good teacher that a student trusts will, you know, typically give them enough that they will push through the other teachers. But um and I, yeah, I, I, I want to answer the question in another way mm-hmm. because I've had a lot of bad teachers, but they've mm-hmm. been a lot of help to me as well. Mm-hmm. Because having teachers tell me things I'm not and things mm-hmm. I can't do mm-hmm. has motivated me so much to prove them wrong. It's mm-hmm. bad because I'm also very hard on myself. So I constantly feel like I'm not doing yeah. enough. So that's not good mm-hmm. either. But it's the reason I am where I am. It's because I'm willing to push and be uncomfortable with yeah. as autistic. One thing parents teach their autistic kids it's while they shouldn't be constantly uncomfortable, you don't progress unless you're a little bit uncomfortable. You yeah. need to be okay with being uncomfortable yes. a lot because yeah. that's how you progress. Exactly, exactly. And, and sorry. Go ahead, turn. I'm so sorry. Go ahead. And that's ways I've had a lot of bad teachers. And a lot of them, I've had people, I've had teachers insult my my dad to my face. People refer to me as an Oreo. An Oreo is a black person who they perceive doesn't act like a black person. These the usually insults that black people give to other black people. It's really dumb um, and kind of racist. 
Um, I've had teachers that have encouraged students to bully me. Mm-hmm. Like literally tell them in front of me, he's like, you know, you can just kick his ass, right? I know. I've seen that before. And I've seen that for little children too. I've actually seen teachers make other students beat up an autistic kid. I mean, people are just mean. I learned how to defend myself in part because I'm like, well, the teachers aren't going to defend me. I'm going to defend yeah. myself. So I said, if you're not going to defend me, I'm like, can I at least defend myself? They're like, yeah, sure. So I'm like, yeah, I'll defend myself then. Yeah. Yep. Um, I'm glad that you said that because I was actually going to ask. I wanted to ask, um, I, you said that your teacher gave you feedback on an email. And I think that it's important for our listeners to know that, yes, we want to support our children. Yes, we want our children to, we want to advocate for them, but we also have to be open to feedback, constructive feedback from an educator your child trusts, right? Can be really good. It doesn't have to be they get it right. It doesn't have to be, oh, don't tell them they did it wrong. It's okay for, for you to say, oh, but you you have to know the child to know how to approach it, right? So you have the ability. You're, I, I feel, torn. you have that natural instinct to push through anything, right? Everybody doesn't have that. So some children hearing someone tell them they didn't do well in the email may not work for them. But parents need to know their children so that they can know how do I challenge them to be uncomfortable to grow, but at the same time, make sure that they're not too uncomfortable with it. Exactly. I'm glad you mentioned that because I am one of those people where you say I can't do something, I'm going to do it to prove you wrong. The greatest compliment I ever got was from someone, from a student who hated my guts. He's another autistic student in high school. He hated me. And he's like, Torin, I really don't like you. Uh, He goes, quite frankly, I don't think you're a very good person. Fair enough. But he says, but the one thing I must say is that if you want something, you'll run through walls for it and you won't let anything stop you to achieve it. And I'm not like that. And I wish I was. And I really mm-hmm. respect that. Yeah. And that was one of the greatest compliments I get because once again, it was from someone who couldn't stand me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I um, mean, that might have been one of the reasons why they couldn't. A lot of times when people are in situations where they feel they can't ever push their way through and they're with and they see someone doing it there's a certain dynamic of, you know, I'm going to try to slash them because I wish I could be that. I wish I could not be um, the person who gets walked on. All right. Are we ready? You know what I love about these questions are, I love that these questions are not about what do I do to fix? What do I do to make? I love that the questions from the parents that have been submitted, these are not my questions. Parents submitted these questions to me. I love that the parents want to know how they can support their child's needs. Like this is really what we're hearing from these questions. I mean, I I told you I was excited about the questions. And of course, you know, I love my parents and they're on this journey with us about shifting the narrative. So I'm going to go to the next question now. Question number four. Ah, would you have preferred a homeschool setting versus an inclusion school setting, which I think might be a difficult, I don't know if it's difficult because when you went to school, homeschooling was not something very common, right? Like it's, it's actually funny you mentioned that because I've actually had both. Ah, do share. Yes. It's actually funny you mentioned that. So I bounced around schools a lot, mostly mm-hmm. for behavior issues. Mm-hmm. I was in a very, I, there was, oftentimes I was in bad placements. I was placed as emotionally disturbed that's learning disabled because like my academics were kind of sort of on par except for math and spelling mm-hmm. and well, everything. But somehow I do okay on tests. Mm-hmm. But so they put me with kids who were like very angry and bully me a lot. And it took me to about 
about seventh or eighth grade before I actually learned how to defend myself. Mm-hmm. Once I did, it was less of an issue. But up until then, it was an it, it, it was a problem. So at one point, I just stopped going. Yeah. I, I just stopped going, and my dad didn't have the heart to make me go because he knew how awful the school was and how poorly I was being treated. Mm-hmm. So after I got kicked out of that school, they were having trouble finding another one. So what the Board of Ed does is if usually they give you temporary homeschooling. Mm-hmm. They'll send teachers to your house. If you've had like an injury, it explodes you from going to school. Yes. Like let's say you broke your leg or something. Hopefully they just couldn't find a placement. So Got for it. about a year, I had a tutor, which wasn't supposed to be a year. But they just could not find a placement for me. So I had a couple of tutors who were quite good, actually. Mm-hmm. And they got me up to like where I need to be grade level so I could actually place into a school and only be behind by a year. Because okay. I was out of school for all intents and purposes from about the age of 13 to 16. I was uh-huh. not in school. Huh. There would be a couple of weeks where I attended new school. I'd last about a week before I stopped going. But essentially, it was about a three-year period. I just was not in school. Mm-hmm. So for the last year of that, I was in homeschooling. So yeah. and I really enjoyed it because one I won, I had a very good uh, tutor who mm-hmm. he didn't understand autism or anything. But for example, he understood that if he taught me for about an hour, I'd start really losing yeah. it. And he figured if he let me play video games for 15 minutes, mm-hmm. for whatever reason, after that 15 minutes, I'd be able to snap back into focus. Yeah. And he just kind of figured that out. Mm-hmm. Now this was this was when I was thirteen. This is like almost twenty years ago. Mm-hmm. So now we know it's like sensory issues. I get this regulated video games to help me regulate. So exactly. I had very good experience with homeschooling. I did not want to leave. They're like, you eventually have to go back to school. And yeah. that sucked. But and the next school I went to wasn't too bad. It was that was high school. I was there for the longest. I was there for like I was there from tenth to twelfth grade. And that was probably the longest I'd ever been in a school since like preschool because mm-hmm. I'd really bounced around a lot for someone who never moved geographically. Yeah. So I've actually had experience both. I've never actually been in what we'd call inclusion mm-hmm. per se. I've been in public schools that had a special ed classroom. That sucked because it's basically a glorified broom closet, even mm-hmm. nowadays in public school. And I tried out for a few inclusive schools. But it never quite worked because they were afraid mm-hmm. about bullying. Yeah. That was yeah. because in I don't know how it is now. I suspect it hasn't changed much. But mm-hmm. back then, about 15 years ago or so now, because I'm getting old, so it's been about 15 years ago, when they said inclusion, it meant they gave you like a para who had mm-hmm. like two years of experience and was just somebody who, who needed a job. Nothing wrong with that. I know some great paras, mm-hmm. but they give you a para and then they put throw you in class 30 kids with teachers mm-hmm. overwhelmed and and doesn't have enough supplies in a school full of kids who come from traumatic backgrounds. Cause that's the only, school. you have to go in your district and my district was poor people. So a bunch of kids who have a lot of homeschool trauma, then take it out on me and yeah. everybody else. That's sort of what inclusion was. Well, I've heard that's basically what it is now. Yeah. So what I had was more regular special education. They put me in, I, I, for example, my high school, I was in a school that was strictly special education and it was, uh, it was okay. It was. It, it could have been worse. It could have been better. There wasn't a lot of expectations because you were in a strictly special ed school. They assumed everyone earmuffed people. They assumed everyone was just retarded. Mm-hmm. They assumed like we had no future. We probably yeah. weren't going to college. And if you did, it'd be a community college near your house, so you could live with your parents the rest of your life. Because there's yeah. no way you could go to school by yourself. Yeah. Um. There weren't a lot of consequences for acting up. Mm-hmm. So. I probably regressed a little bit behaviorally because I learned that if, like, if I just pretended to have a meltdown, I could get whatever I want. 
like during the state regions test, like I said, I wanted a sandwich and they just gave me a sandwich, which is definitely illegal. I didn't even want a sandwich. I just wanted to see if I asked for a sandwich, if I could get a sandwich. Because I had a sandwich with me, but you're not supposed to eat it. But I'm like, I wonder if I asked for it, they'll let me eat it. And they let me eat it. Okay, so all of those listening out there, this is one of those moments when often my parents will say, how do I know if it's autism or just them being a kid? I'm like, this is Torin being a kid. Let me see. Yeah, they, if they ask for a sandwich for no freaking reason, that's <laughs> that, that's because they just think children always want, especially teenagers, because this was when I was like 17 or so, they always want to push boundaries. Yes. And you want to encourage that because of that's course. how you get by in life. If you want yes. to know what you can, in my opinion, you always want to be pushing the boundaries of your life. Don't do anything illegal, but you always want to be pushing the boundaries. You're going to, like, you're going to have, you're going to struggle a bit. I have a friend. I think we might have said this on the podcast. I don't remember. Well, yeah, I have a friend who I was at a baseball game with recently. And I went to go sit in like, we were in the upper tank, but I sat in like the first row of the upper tank mm-hmm. because I go enough games. I know that even though your ticket doesn't say that, no one's going to give a shit. Ah. And if someone asks you to move, you just move one seat up. Odds are like most of the people there aren't, don't actually have those seats. Yeah. Unless it's a sellout. If it's a sellout, you got to go to your assigned seat. Yeah. Yeah, but I go up there. I go sit down, and my friend announced to the entire section because he talks louder than I do. He goes, "Those are our seats." I'm like, "It's like we're just gonna." I'm like, "Dude," shh. he's like, "Dude, we're just gonna get kicked out." And he's screaming this. I'm like, "Well, now we are." Yeah, yeah. So some some people want 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 to stay within the boundaries. I mm-hmm. disagree. Always try to push boundaries. So you should encourage your kids to push boundaries. That's what I did. So I did that quite a bit in school. And I'm sorry for going on that tangent. Yep. You know, I'm all about pushing boundaries. I think I, but, I think I remember Torin, and this has nothing to do with autism. You know, stories pop in my head. Um, just to give you a little perspective on how pushing boundaries is even just part of our like family dynamic. When my youngest son went to pre-K, I remember telling my parents, you know, the first week you share with your grand the grandparents, oh, they had their first week, and he got all his smiley faces and got his stuff a treasure chest. My mom said, and you guys can, you'll know where I get my pushing the boundaries from. My mother said to my four-year-old, Momo will give you candy if you don't get all smiley faces. Don't let them control you and make you compliant and tell you what to do on everything. I was like, oh my gosh, mother. Like, I can't believe you just told my child to not follow directions. Yeah, <laughs> so my, that- dad, my dad was like that too. In a way, his thing was like, just don't do anything really bad. Yes. It's kind of like, it's like, just don't do something so bad because you like kicked out of school or something. Yeah, of course, of like, course. Like, don't do something that's going to completely, because he was someone who completely screwed up his life yeah. in, all, in every way imaginable. So it's like, just don't do something to completely screw up your life and it'll be yeah. fine. Yeah. Pushing the boundaries brings change. And and I and challenging yourself and, and sometimes being uncomfortable or our kids being uncomfortable does foster growth. Um, uh, you know, the student that I work with, Noah, that's how I got get him to do new things that are hard. I'm like, oh, wait a minute. Don't you want your brain to grow? Because he's really motivated. By and that. that doesn't mean put your kid through sensory hell no. with the hope still. No. And I'm sorry for going on this tangent. The question no. was about uh, my experience with homeschool and inclusion. No. Long story short, I've been homeschooling. I've never been in like strict inclusion. No. I would say I like the homeschooling better. I think any kid would. Mm-hmm. The negative to that is I had no friends. Yeah. Like, so in terms of developing social skills, I'm a believer social skills are important. Mm-hmm. You have to have some base social skills at some point, unless you're really rich and like, you can just sort of get away with it. But if you don't have privilege, you got to know how to hustle and convince people to believe in you and help yeah. you out. So you need to have some ability to communicate your ideas to people. And yeah. 
be somewhat tolerable to them. Like I, 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 I'm on the border of somewhat tolerable. Like there aren't that many people who can tolerate me because I'm so brash and all that. But yeah. I learned that in school. I first mm-hmm. thought the, my two best friends I met in high school. I would yeah. have never met them otherwise. Exactly. So I would say that a school setting overall has benefits socially if it's the right school setting. Exactly. And, you know, these days I tell parents all the time, put your child in an extracurricular event. If, you know, if, or if you have, exactly. if you have cousins, if you have a family where you have three sister-in-laws and every time you guys get together, there's like 12 siblings and cousins running around the backyard, homeschool and socializing is your child's not going to miss out. And the reality of it is Torrin, when you went to school, children actually were able to socialize. That is not an option anymore. It is 90 minutes of math, 90 minutes of reading, maybe 10 minutes of recess, quick recess. They can't even talk during lunch anymore. It's silent lunch. We've got to get in and we got to get out. There is no time. The last IEP meeting I sat in when I said, they're not coming to school, we're homeschooling. And they, they kept saying, well, they need social skills. I said, how many minutes a day do y'all allow the children to socialize? Tell me how many minutes a day. It's worth this child being traumatized for 12 minutes a day of social it, it, exactly and that's and even even in my even back in my day it was still a little bit better and mm-hmm. I actually go back to the second question or the third question about teachers mm-hmm. i had a really good history professor who they i had a few teachers in high school who were very flexible in how they taught a mm-hmm. lot of them were neurodivergent a lot of special ed teachers are neurodivergent themselves mm-hmm. and they would sort of so i had a history professor who she believed well if we get the work done before the 45 minutes, I'm not going to like harp on them to like keep focus. Mm-hmm. So my senior year of high school, for example, I they were teaching us about American government, which I'm mm-hmm. not even sure if they teach anymore, judging by the stuff I see on Twitter. And she explained what a filibuster was. So a filibuster is basically when they're coming on a vote, you can block the vote by, keep, by continuing to talk. If you talk, mm-hmm. no one can tell you to sit down unless they have two thirds majority vote. Yeah. And she explains that. So then suddenly her thing was she was great. She was from Greece. She loved talking about it. So one of the kids in the class me raised his hand and said and asked a question about Greece, which she answered. And then I asked a question. And another person asked the question. And at a certain point she stops, looks at the clock, she's like, I see what you're doing, <laughs> but I like it. So I'm gonna keep answering these questions. Yeah. Because it's yeah. like, I see what you're trying to do, because we saw the clock. I have about 15 minutes left. We were trying to get her to keep yeah. talking so get out so we could finish. We, could, we, could, we, could, we didn't have to do any more work. And yeah. I just thought about that. We were talking about boundaries and schooling. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry for this stream of consciousness crazy. No, but this is this is exactly what I think our listeners need. I think it's um it's great context, right? I think sometimes we're always bombarded with, oh, do this, do this, this strategy. I think sometimes it's just, oh, let's just talk about experiences I had. And I, I'm sure that our listeners are learning from them. Uh you, when you were talking about your teacher and you guys, you know, I love kids that push the limits. I love kids that like, don't just accept any answer because I, I always see that's going to be a person that really makes some changes and some differences. Um, I remember my principal would walk in my classroom and he would literally open the door and he would look. And of course, who knows what weird stuff I had set up for my kids. Right. And he was like, okay, Miss Battle, looks like everything's okay in here. <laughs> Like I got kids on the floor working. I got kids in the swing working. I mean, who knows what's going on in my classroom? And, um, but he really trusted me. And so I, I actually reached out to him several times to um, let him know that I appreciated him letting me experiment uh, with the strategies I thought would work. And one day, you know, you get random mail out of school. I'll never forget the secretary was going through and he had the stack of stuff and he's like going through and he's like, oh, Miss Bat on here. 
this might be something you like. And it was a catalog for like farm animals. And I was like, why would you think I would need a catalog for farm animals? And Mr. Abra looked at me and said, Miss Bannon, I never know what you're going to come up with. So I just am giving you something because I never know what you're going to do. I'm like, I don't do the animals. And I'm glad yeah. they gave you that freedom. That's how it was for like my particular homeroom in high school. It wasn't all the classes, but my particular homeroom, it just happened to have a collection of kids who were kind of smart. Mm-hmm. We, we thought we were hot shit. Like we thought we were the greatest thing ever mm-hmm. because that's what most high schools think. But I, we were the first class where I think every student got into a university, not just community college, but university. Mm-hmm. Now, some of these universities were like the place I went, which was like a middle of the road school, which I said before is a drinking campus or a college problem. Yeah. But technically it's a university. So the school wanted to market us. Mm-hmm. So the teachers, we, we both the teachers and our students were kind of allowed to get away with whatever we wanted by senior year. Mm-hmm. Like we didn't go to class. We'd show up in other people's classes. We'd just walk out of the school. At one point, our math teacher got so mad at us. He kicked every student out except one and taught that one student. The rest of us just stood out in the hall and the principal came by. He's like, what's going on here? It's like, oh, we got Ahmed pissed off. And it's like, and she's like, okay. And she just keeps walking. And she looks in the class, sees him teaching the one student mm-hmm. and the rest of us, it just keeps walking. Yeah. And so we kind of had that freedom, but that was only because like, they all thought we were going to make something of our lives, which mm-hmm. kind of panned out to varying effects. Some of us did some really cool stuff. And then uh, some of us, like me, just became alcoholics and yeah. ended up doing a podcast. I know. I think one of the reasons we're having such trouble with keeping good teachers and, and getting people to go into the field is teachers are not allowed to teach anymore. They're actually having to do everything else that like testing and all this other stuff. And the good teachers, like you said, they just teach. They're like, okay, look, this is what we're going to do. And and they go with the flow and they had more freedom and they just don't have that. All right. Are we ready? We have three yep. more wonderful questions. We might have to do a part two. All right, here we go. What advice do you have about explaining to a child in regards to the fact that they're autistic? Um, and this is one that I get a lot torn. So I'm always, I'm always curious. Um, could you repeat the question? Yes, I will. Um, the question is really, they want to know how do they explain to their child that they're autistic? Like, like what's your advice on that? Like your child's walking around and you and I have had these discussions. I have children that are 10 years old and they're in an autism specific class and they don't even know they're autistic. Like, how do you not know? You guys have puzzle pieces draped all over this classroom. You do an autism awareness walk every April and nobody in the room knows they're autistic because nobody wants to talk about it. I saw a, uh, I think I've spoken about this. I didn't see. I think we're, uh, I, we spoke about this on a much earlier podcast. I was mm-hmm. once at a birthday party and this was like, we were all like 18. So it was me and a bunch of like my autistic friends and their autistic friends. It's just a whole lot of autism. So it's like a bunch of 18 year olds Having a what pizza party? party in Dave and Buster's, which is actually pretty fun. And did you say, did you say a bunch of 18-year-old autistic individuals at Dave and Buster's, which is like total sensory overload? You'd be surprised. We love that. We love that. We still do it. Like me and the, the two people I still talk to. Like you'd be surprised. Um, so yeah, me it was me and like 12 all autistic, all diagnosed because they're all from school. And we were just chilling and we were eating because it has like a restaurant and then an arcade. So before we went to the arcade, we would eat first. And by the way, tangent to what you just said about the Dave and Busters. In a previous episode, I had mentioned that when you grow up in New York City, you're a bit 
uh, more blunted to sensory mm-hmm. things. These are all New mm-hmm. York City kids. Mm-hmm. So we, I, mm-hmm. I, I have a theory we all have a higher tolerance to that just yeah. because New York City is sensory hell. Anyway, we were eating and I mentioned something about like, oh, we like we're all part of the retard school or something. Back mm-hmm. then, that was still socially acceptable to use the R yes. word. So, yeah. so we used all the time in school, the special yeah. ed students. We called each other retard all the time. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, we're in the retard school. And one of one, one of my friends goes, wait, we're, this is a special ed school? And there was like a dead silence, like a, like a pin drop silence. There were like 12 of us. And we all thought he was joking. But the way he said it, we weren't sure we should laugh. And we're like, and eventually, I think I went, me or somebody else started laughing. He's like, no, no, I'm serious. Like this is special ed school. And we're like, this kid had been in that school for 12 years because it was elementary, middle school, and high school. I was only there for high school. Some people have been there the whole way through, the mm-hmm. whole indoctrination course. And he's one of them. He's been there since he was five years old. He was 18, he was 19 at the time, about mm-hmm. to graduate. And we're, we're, we're like, I'm not going to say his name, but let's say, say his name was Chuck. Chuck, how the hell do you not realize that it's special ed school? It's like, I knew there were some special ed students. I'm like, they never let us forget it. Yeah. How were you there for like 12 years and not figure that out? Like yeah. the model, one of the models of the school was your mottos is you're just as good as kids in public school. Which I've said this before, if you guys say you're just as good as somebody, you're basically telling them they're not. Yeah. Just a little tip. So the first part of that question, don't say you're just as good as neurotypical kids or just because normal kids don't ever say that. But You'd be surprised. It just reminded me of that. But as mm-hmm. to how to tell an autistic child they're autistic, I feel like the invincible meme, that's the neat part, you don't. Mm-hmm. It really depends. If the kid yeah. isn't having trouble, I would just let it rock and not say anything mm-hmm. at all because I've, I'm i a believer that there could be a stigma attached. I don't mm-hmm. want any kid thinking they're damaged mm-hmm. and that there's something wrong with them. Mm-hmm. I want them because self-esteem is so important for kids. Mm-hmm. However, if they're having trouble and at some point they will have trouble, mm-hmm. that I would say is the time because they're having trouble and they think they're and they, and they don't know they're autistic. They just don't think it's their fault that yeah. there's just something wrong with them. Like, what the hell is wrong with me? Yeah, yeah. I've heard that. I haven't experienced that because I didn't get that choice. Yeah, I was told yeah. from, I was diagnosed when I was eight, and my dad told me that night mm-hmm. that I was diagnosed. Mm-hmm. And that basically became who I was, whether I wanted to or not, for mm-hmm. the rest, for the next eight, let's say, 12 years. My dad died when I was 20. So for the next 12 years, that was all I heard was torn, mm-hmm. you're autistic, you're broken, here's all the things you won't be able to do. So I do worry about that. But at the same time, I've also heard from other autistic people that if you don't know you're autistic and then shit starts to go sideways, and you don't know why, it's yeah. one of the most infuriating things ever. Oh, it's horrible. And it's really bad. I've seen families break up when they find out their parents never told them. And they're like, oh my gosh, my entire first 20 years, 20 years of my life, I thought something was wrong with me. And if I would have known I was autistic, that would have made it so much easier. <laughs> like, why didn't you tell me when I have it? Like the parents didn't tell them the whole time. The whole time. And that and, happens. And I think for me, it was also a little different because my there was something wrong with my parents. My mm-hmm. mom had a lot of mental yeah. issues growing yeah. up. And that was like, we were terrified. She was insane. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And my dad was had a whole, like the kitchen table was full of all these medications. Cause not only that part time to have a bunch of mental issues. Yeah. Yeah. A bunch of drug issues and stuff like that. He was always seeing psychiatrists. So we were always surrounded by mental health because mental health, our mental health was so poor as a family. Mm-hmm. It was a mm-hmm. dumpster. My parents met in an inpatient lunatic aside for lack of oh, look at in, that. an inpatient that. psychiatric program i'm not making it up that's what they met they were both inpatients mm-hmm. the doctors are trying to find legal reasons why they couldn't get married 
And wow. I know this is true because one of the doctors at that time, he still saw her. And when he told me that, she was still around. So I asked her. She was, she was old by that point. But I was like, is it true you were trying to find legal reasons why you couldn't get married? She's like, yes. And by this point, I was like, I was an adult. And she's yeah. like, and you see why now? Because by this point, they'd gotten divorced and my mom had passed and yeah. their relationship was awful and crazy. It's like, you understand why we were trying to stop them because they not, they should never have been together. Yeah. Like she was, if, she was adamant even 30 years later why that was the right idea. But my point is I was always surrounded by crazy. So mm -hmm. I think even if I wasn't diagnosed, I would have been in the mindset that, yeah, clearly there's something wrong with me because look who my parents are. Right. I think for a, for someone not coming out of such psychotic circumstances, mm -hmm. being different and not knowing why might be incredibly frustrating. Yeah. And Torin, is that person, that lady still alive? Uh, I haven't had contact with her in 10 years, but unfortunately, I probably doubt it because she's already yeah. in her late 80s. Yeah. So I point. would just say, I'm glad that she was not able to stop it because then my Torin wouldn't have been here. My fourth son wouldn't have been here. I would have been cheated of that experience. Fair enough. Uh, I will I will add to your answer, Torin, because you know, I do think uh you have such great valid points, and I do think it is individualized based on family. Um, but I will say that I truly believe when parents are genuinely accepting and it's presented to the child as if like it's everything else that's presented, right? Like, oh, you have to wear glasses because you can't see, or oh, you have to wear your, use your inhaler because you have asthma, right? Whatever it is that we explain. And I will, from my perspective, I will say of all as a speech therapist and an early interventionist and someone who's been in education, autism is the only diagnosis I've ever seen parents try to hide. It's the only one. It's the only one they try to get their kids in school and don't tell anyone because it's invisible, right? So people want to kind of like there's shame around it. Yeah, until they have a meltdown, then it's very fucking visible. Yeah. And and we all, of course, are here in this podcast because we're trying to shift the narrative around that, take the frame, the, the shame around it, uh, away from it. But I will share, and I'm so sorry, I'm distracted. There is apparently someone either knocking down a tree or or knocking something down in my neighborhood. And it's very sensory overwhelming for me now because it keeps spontaneously banging so I'm trying to work through that and communicate my words at the same time. But I will share a story in terms of what you said. It, it depends and all these other things. There was a, an episode of Bill Cosby. And it was the episode when Denise came. Man, you're really trying to get us canceled. Between the two of us, we're really trying to make this one the one. Oh, my gosh. And the, the episode was when Denise brought her husband home from Africa. And she didn't tell her parents that she got married and she didn't tell them anything. So she shoves him in there, right? And so of course her parents are discombobulated. And so they have this dinner and uh, the dad makes this dinner and, and they're all contentious, right? And, and, and Denise is like, oh, you know, you guys are being insensitive and you know, blah, blah, blah. And her dad says to her, well, actually says to the gentleman, it's not you. He said, you like steak? And the guy's like, oh, yeah, I like steak. He says, you like like a porter steak with the, with the butter melting. And so he describes the steak, right? And you just, you can, you can hear the sizzle of the steak. You can, and even if you don't like steak, right? The way he's describing it and the guy's like, oh yeah, I want steak. And then, then, then dad, Cosby dad pulls out a trash can top and he says, what if I served it on a trash can lid? And the dad said, Denise, 
It's not about you got married. It's not about this and that. It's the way you presented it. And that is what I always say, the way you present the diagnosis to your child, the way you present it to other people is how people will perceive it. So if you present it as a tragedy, people will perceive it as a tragedy. If you've ever met anyone who was diagnosed with cancer, and I'm going to stop after this because I really want parents to think about the best way to do this. And so I'm kind of giving a little bit of extra. No, I, no, I think it's very important. We do that. Yes. The, um, and oh gosh, I just lost it. I said, <laughs> it's how you present it. Yes. Don't present <laughs> it as a tragedy. Yes. So if you've ever met anyone who's been diagnosed with cancer, when they call to tell you they have cancer, and if they call and tell you I have cancer, I'm really upset, then you automatically feel, oh gosh, cancer. But if they call you and say, you know what? I got a diagnosis. I've decided what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna fight this. I'm gonna come up with a plan. You're like, you know what? I'm right there with you for that plan because they presented it to you in a way that you felt like it was something you could handle, right? I'm not saying you have to be excited and cheerlead about it. I'm not saying that you have to say, oh, yay, we have a diagnosis. I'm saying like anything else, whatever happens in life, it's the way we present it to our children and to others as how they perceive it. And we're not comparing autism to cancer. Just to, No, just we to are not. We are not. I'm trying to give example. You know, you guys know, you guys have listened to me long enough now. I'm always telling stories to give perspective of, of different scenarios because a lot of times we don't it's we can't make the connections but well, I don't do be a gloomy gus about it and when it's presented to your kids don't be like don't be like my dad did where he basically would explain to me in detail it's like well listen you'll probably never be able to hold down a job it's like i understand when i when i mentioned how i was bouncing around schools not in school yeah. it's like listen it's very unlikely you're going to graduate high school i'm just going to be honest with you i'm like why would you say that he's like because you want to try things, Torin. I like that. But I don't want you to try too many things because you're going to fail. And when you fail, the fall is going to be really long. I'm trying to protect you. God. That's what we'd say on almost a daily basis. Mm -hmm. Now, in my mind, then I just thought to myself, well, then fuck you. I'm going to do it just to spite you. Yeah. yeah. But most people don't have that like sick mindset I do. And mm -hmm. it's not a good mindset because I'm like that with everything. Like I'm still trying to prove that man wrong. He's been dead for a decade. So it's not necessarily a good mindset to have. So don't do that with your kids. You want to mm -hmm. support them. You want to tell them that while they may have their challenges, they're going to have their strengths too. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that they're still them. They're not lesser than anybody else and think, yeah. and yada, yada, yada. That's how you want to do it. Uh, let's move to the next question though. All right. How can a parent create an environment of acceptance while also protecting the autonomy of the child to disclose when and if they are ready. So this is something that I wanna put a tag on this question. And I know where this question is coming from because what I've seen now in, and we talked about this in the episode on autistic lid. What I've seen now is now parents are feeling bad if they tell anyone their child's autistic because now autistic led individuals have decided that's your child's, he has a right to tell and this is what I will say, and I don't really care who agrees with me or doesn't agree with me. If you are a parent and you are parenting a minor, you have the autonomy to share information about your child at your discretion, because right now they're the parent of a minor, right? Minors don't have autonomy to do anything they want to do. I'm not saying, you guys know where I'm coming from. I'm not saying let children, I'm not against child led. I'm saying 
unless your child communicates to you, like at some point when our children get to a certain age, they may say, hey, don't call me that. Hey, don't say that. Hey, don't tell people that. But when you have a three-year-old and a four-year-old, a parent should not be ashamed to say, my child's autistic because an autistic person said, don't share that identity. They may not want anyone to know. Okay, now what do we do? Right? Like that's what's going so, on. So let me understand media. this question. How to tell people your child's autistic without basically putting them on blast, without violating their rights to privacy? That's yes. what they're asking? Yes. Well, first off, it's considered immature to name names, but I'm going to. And the reason I'm going to is not out of any personal animosity, even though I do hold quite a bit of personal animosity towards these two individuals. But because I want parents to, these two individuals have large followings mm -hmm. and the algorithm likes them. So it picks them up. So the parents mm -hmm. are likely to see these people on social media. I want you to understand that these people and people like them are bad influences. Mm -hmm. First person to stay away from is an account named No Divergent Rebel. Mm -hmm. This person has no idea what they're talking about. They're not a parent. They're a, very, they're a privileged white person mm -hmm. who are autistic. They have not worked with autistic people in real life. Nope. Yep. They rely entirely on their own personal experience, which while valuable, makes them only an expert in their autism. Yes. Autism is autism is like snowflakes. They're different. Yes. Each each individual is different. So they have no idea what they're talking about. They say a lot of absolutist stuff and they're very anti parent because mm -hmm. they don't like their parents. Mm -hmm. Not because from what I've seen, not because their parents are necessarily bad from what they've presented on social media just mainly because they're privileged and they don't actually know what like really bad parenting is. Like my dad did drugs in front of me, yeah. like that, that type of stuff. Like they, they don't know like good parenting, for yeah. example. Yeah. Another one is autistic science person. Mm -hmm. They have some good stuff on research, but most of their opinions, once again, bad, not parent, very privileged. At least they admit they're privileged. They, they, yeah. They'll tell you themselves they're privileged. Very extremist with their positions. Very mm -hmm. young, both these individuals, I believe no divergent rebels, like 30. Mm -hmm. And autistic science person is like 22, 23. Mm -hmm. Neither of them are old. They don't have a lot of lived experience. They don't know what the hell they're talking about. Mm -hmm. They're both have a large following. Look for them and people like them. Any account that agrees what they're saying, stay clear of them. They don't know what the hell they're talking about. And the reason I'm saying this because they'll tell you, oh, you can't tell an individual the child's autistic. Sometimes you have to, especially when the child is eight years old. Mm -hmm. There's certain, there's like, there are certain times where, as a parent, your voice does matter and your voice does need to supersede. Mm -hmm. There is a line. And personally, why I give a line is you're telling doctors, you're telling teachers, you're telling people who are going to help that kid, they're autistic. Because an eight-year-old's not going to be able to articulate their needs properly. No eight-year-old, no child. Hell, I would argue no 18-year-old is going to properly articulate their needs. Because our 18-year-olds are still essentially children. Yeah. Yeah. Like most most 18 year olds have issues, like in general, most 18 year olds that have issues can be the issue can be chalked up to, oh, you just haven't been alive long enough. Like most of their issues can be chalked up to that. Yeah. But they so an eight year old, a 10 year old is not going to be able to you have to be able to advocate. If you're advocating for your child, you have to tell them, tell people they're autistic. Where I would say you don't do it is don't post their meltdowns on Facebook. That should go yep. without saying. Yep. If you're in a Facebook group, I'm very wary of Facebook groups. Um, I found that they tend to be, in general, not just autism, they tend to be more crappy than good. Uh, it's a lot of martyr moms, people who just want to feel bad about themselves yeah. and talk about how much of a burden their mm -hmm. child is. Even before Facebook, my dad was part of a YouTube group, a Yahoo group, not YouTube, Yahoo group. 
A, a, no, AOL Messenger. That's how that's how long ago this was. When I was a kid, like early two thousands, of parents of all moms who's the only dad complaining about their kids. Like the whole mess because I would read some of the message words. He would let me read it. That was one thing. My dad always let me read the books and stuff like that, which wasn't good because all the books and stuff like that just told me everything that was wrong with me. Yeah. But I read the message and just moms complaining about their kids. Yeah. Like just various complaints about their kids. So I think. While Facebook groups can be good for support, I worry about them. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't tell complete strangers unless it's absolutely necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, I, let's say you're in a conversation and someone's talking about, oh, my child's autistic. I'm not even sure if I would reveal that my kid was autistic if I had kids. I'm not so sure about that, even though it's a way to connect with somebody. Mm-hmm. Because the kid may not want people knowing about that. They may be too young to know that. But when they're older, they may not want people knowing that. So I would say if you're advocating or it's for like a medical reason, that's necessity mm-hmm. or education, something like that. Other than that, I would say probably keep it to yourself, run it by the kid. If the kid is some form of communication, mm-hmm. if by the way, if they don't have a form of communication, just screw everything we're saying in this episode and just go back to some of our earlier episodes. Cause that's like step number one. If you have to communicate, if they're not communicating with you. That's like, it. That's like saying, why can't I stay in shape? I'm taking all I'm taking all these protein supplements. I'm working out. But I'm eating. But I'm eating Dairy Queen every day, and I'm getting five hours of sleep. Yeah, which is me, by the way. That's me right now. And so you're not doing the basics. So if they can communicate, and even children six, seven, eight, they can communicate how they feel about wanting people to know. Have that conversation with your kid because mm-hmm. it also gets them used to the conversation of how they're going to reveal. Because eventually, it's going to be them. Yes. It's going to be them deciding when and where to tell people. Yes, yes. So have that conversation with your kid, even if they're young. Mm-hmm. Even if they're six, seven, eight, have a conversation, get an idea. And if they don't want people to know, then don't tell people unless it's necessary. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I'm going to throw in my, which I'm sure that most people who know me know my, my perspective. Um, I am just one of those people that is just very open about everything and I, I truly, when I, you know, when I think of Romalis and how his mom approached it, when I think of my other student who, you know, I remember, oh my gosh, Walker literally would walk into the grocery store and we were like on a field trip and he would say, hi, my name is Walker and I am autistic. And I have a sister that I adopted from China who was born without a butthole. I'm like, okay, Walker. Is that like possible? Every, yeah, there's there's so many different things that can go awry when you are developing in utero. Um, and guess what? There's a way to fix it too. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it's pretty easy. Just kind of punch a no, hole. No, it's not easy to fix, but there is a special place to get that uh, resolved. However, Walker, um, and I really want to get him on the podcast. He just finished college, but you know, he and his mom and his family just walked in this was 20 something years ago, the light of this is who we are. We are, this is what it is. And, and it is, and Romalis's mom, same thing. Once the diagnosis. So I, I just want to end with, we have one more question for you, but I want to end on the note of telling your child is parents just trust your, your gut. You know, you can look at advice. You can hear every child is different. I have a family where both of her sons are autistic. One loves to share. The other one doesn't want anyone to know. So just follow their lead, right? When they're able to tell you and when you start seeing that they're pushing back on it, respect their their, their wishes. Um, but at the same time, if you are a parent that is all open and you walk the autism walk and you start a Instagram and it's positive and you guys are all embracing of whatever, 
go for it, right? And and everyone will follow. So and, and as for and I'm going to cut you off. The last thing I'll say on this question, mm-hmm. and as for who to follow, um, if you read something from somebody and your first okay. immediate thought is this person kind of seems full of shit, mm-hmm. don't go to the next thought. But they're autistic, so maybe they're right. No, stick with the first thoughts. They're probably exactly. if they're the first thought. This person's probably full of shit. Mm-hmm. Odds are they kind of are. Like trust your gut on that one. Yeah, I tell parents when I say, listen, I learned this from Torin. Just like every autistic person doesn't have the best advice for you and your family, every mom doesn't have the best advice for you and your family. You can go to a mom group and every mom may have a different answer. We all have to pick and weed through what we think is for. Follow your instinct, um, moms and dads, listeners. Follow your instinct and follow your child's lead at their request. Don't disrespect your child's request. Certainly we don't want to do that. Last question. Last question. Should I do like a... a, We need a sound effects person. Okay. What was your experience with intervention or therapy as a child? And if you could change anything about that, what would you have changed? I like that question. Oh boy. Um, Well, we like to limit the time of these episodes to about 45 minutes to an hour normally, or a long trip to the bathroom. Today is going to be one of those trips where You've been out drinking all night, maybe celebrating something. You're probably in your mid-20s. So you know when you're in your mid-20s, you still go out and drink, but you don't recover from it like you used to. And you spend the whole next day on the bathroom, in the bathroom. This is the episode for that day. There you go. To answer your question, intervention. (laughs) I've had a lot of intervention. Uh, Mm -hmm. The first thing is medication, which I talked about. Mm -hmm. It sucked. Mm -hmm. It stunted my development. It stunted my ability to make to with coping strategies mm-hmm. it stunted my interoception ability it stunted everything and mm-hmm. i had to learn it like a hard way when i went off when i was an adult i went off it because i was finally 18 so the doctors couldn't force me to take it anymore mm-hmm. that was bad i've yeah. also had a lot of therapy which i was gonna have anyway because both my parents were in therapy because like i said both my parents were crazy so i received a lot of it and most of it sucked i had a few good therapists most of it didn't really help because mm-hmm. No amount of therapy in the world is going to make up for the fact you're being raised by a mother who almost certainly was undiagnosed uh, borderline personality disorder, among other things, a father who almost certainly is undiagnosed autistic mm-hmm. and had suffered from clinical depression and drug addiction. Mm-hmm. And I also suspect was in the closet, which actually affected his life way more than it probably should have. Yeah. But it, def- it led to several life-altering decisions. <laughs> that's, that's all I'll go into that. Um, so I was sort of so I, I, I had no choice. I was going to get I was going to be in the deep end of therapeutic intervention regardless, just being born to those two. And I wasn't a big fan of it. I know it can help. Um, I received occupational therapy. It did nothing. What did you do in occupational therapy? Do you remember? It helps you like. No, what did you do? What did you remember? What you had me do shit like walk in a straight line. They'd like line up some blocks and they'd have to walk one foot in front of the other for balance. I have no sense of balance. Mm -hmm. Um, It didn't help. I'm still so bad with balance. (laughs) I'm still so bad with balance. If I'm not paying attention, if I'm standing up, I might just start spontaneously tipping over. I have to catch myself, but that'll happen. I'll just tip over. Um, I have no sense, but like this is why I struggled in athletics. The thing that helped me with that was actually athletics in high school. I got into it. I worked on hand-eye coordination, things like that. I'm still terrible, but I worked on it. And actually, uh, uh, lifting weights and stuff for whatever reason actually helped a lot with that. But we did none of that in OT. We just like 
played with Play-Doh and walked one foot in front of the other. That's all I remember because we kept doing it and I sucked at it and I kept getting having to do it over and over because I couldn't do it. So that's why I remember it. So OT's... We played with Play-Doh. Oh my gosh, we all love bringing out the Play-Doh. You guys don't want to do the Play-Doh? No. I, I love Play-Doh. I didn't like the block stuff. I didn't put ah. one foot in front of the other. Play-Doh okay. was fun. Um, and then I had speech therapy when I was a little kid. I don't really remember it, yeah. but oh, my parents told me about it. Basically, I didn't talk much till I was like five. Mm-hmm. They put me in speech therapy and I haven't shut the fuck up since. <laughs> like, I, I guess it worked. That's what we're going to definition on. It, it, it worked. And like you I said, would not have had speech therapy, you still would have been a talker. I don't think probably. speech therapy made you a talker. Probably. I think you just somebody who pushed your when you found your way, you just pushed those words out and they just yeah. People have said I've had diarrhea of the mouth, and I like that term. Yeah, yes. I love and it. I had obviously mental health therapy and I'm trying to think. That's pretty much it. I haven't had like the fancy stuff. I haven't had ABA because back then it wasn't covered by Medicaid. Yeah. Now it is. Thank goodness. Thank goodness. Now it is, which is unfortunate. In fact, it's covered in New York State. I know because they sent me a letter. My insurance sent me a letter saying we now cover ABA. Oh, look, you can get ABA now, Torin. You didn't get it before. Do you want to take it now? I know. I can finally learn how I can finally learn how to talk normal. Oh no, you can learn how to imitate and clap your hands three times and pick up something off the floor and then spin and clap. Well, that's for kids. Actually, adult what they do for adult ABA is basically like those pickup artists that they have for young men where they teach you how to be a sexual predator. That's basically adult ABA. Do you know I have um, a, a client that is 19 and he's an ABA and they make him do matching and he already has a high school diploma, like not a fake diploma, not an alternate diploma, an actual high school diploma. Like, so they got him a diploma or he had the diploma and he's still an ABA? He, well, he's in right now, we're, we're transitioning. He's actually in, uh, they didn't have a residential place and he needed, he was, the grandmother took him in and so he needed a place to go and. Um, we yeah, thought him the hell out of ABA. If he has an ice cream him the hell out of ABA. We thought it was something else, um, but now realizing that it's just a waste of his time. It's so crazy. Um, yeah, I've crazy. I've not had a good experience with with most interventions. I would mm-hmm. say some of the counseling has helped. I I guess I, mm-hmm. I guess I've had some good counselors. I don't do well with counselors. Um, I've generally I've had a few good ones. I do well with counselors who respect my intelligence. They was like they respect the fact that I generally know my feelings pretty well. And I have a better than average background in psychology because of all the mental health issues my parents had. Plus, my dad had studied uh, to be, I think, a pharmacist or a psychologist. Mm-hmm. One of those two. He had like three years of school and bombed out of the fourth year. Mm-hmm. So, but he was one of those two because he had inferiority complex. He'd always talk about it. and He always wanted to learn. He had we had a copy, like a hard copy of the Big Book of Crazy. Mm-hmm. Back then, it was the old DSM, DSM four, this mm-hmm. big hulking thing, and he'd read the whole thing back to forth. Because he's was freaking autistic, and only an autistic person does shit like that. Yeah, yeah. So, I, so I knew a lot more than like your average person. So therapists who sort of, and it's not, it's not like I'm a know it all, yeah. but like when people, I once had someone say, I was saying I'm feeling really anxious. And I had a doctor say, well, you know, it's not good, right? I got, I straight got up and walked out right then and there because I'm like, you're wasting my time. This is a waste of my time. No shit. That's why I'm here. So most of the therapy I've had has not been very helpful. I I, I see it mostly as a waste of time. Mm-hmm. I, I guess if you're having issues, you should get mental health counseling. I guess that's what you're supposed to say. <laughs> um, you should get speech therapy for your kid, I guess. But if it's not working after like the first year, 
the kid might speak like verbal speech just might not be their thing. Try a different form of, of, of communication. I'm 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 not a professional, so don't take my advice worth anything. Take everything with a grain of salt. I'm not a fan of intervention. I've had bad personal experience with it. I know a lot of people have not had great person great experience with it. Mm-hmm. I knew someone in high school, they were in kind of a form of like social training mm-hmm. where after school they would take her into the library and they would show mm-hmm. like scenes of like regular social interactions and say, well, is this person angry or sad? Yeah. And it, it did not help her. She yeah. would say random stuff. Like she was the racist one who would say like white people are superior race, for example. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. clearly it didn't help. Yeah. So you know, it's it's interesting, Torin. I appreciate you sharing that and everything that you shared for the questions that have been asked. And um one of the things I, I take away from what you just said in that response is um <sighs> I literally just lost my sentence. Like it literally just went away. It's going to come back in a minute. You were talking. This is a very special with the quotations, special (laughs) podcast. We had a joke. Our high school's model was a very special place. So we had a joke that one day we were going to show up and graffiti air quotes around the term special. So it'd say a very special place. Yes. Okay. It came back. It came back. It came back. All right. So what I think or what I would, what I've taken away, I won't say what I want everyone else to do, what the listeners to do. What I took away from your answer as a therapist, listening to your response is children are aware of what's going on in therapy. Children are aware when therapy is a waste of time. Children are aware when therapists are making them do stupid things that make no sense. So I love that you responded with that, because I think that sometimes when kids are in therapy, and even though we know as a parent, I can't find out the therapist, I'm stuck with this therapist, or sometimes they believe, you know, no therapy is better than bad. I'm like, nope, no therapy is better than bad therapy. Bad therapy is not good. And bad therapy is not good for several reasons. It's a waste of your time and money, whether it's the insurance money or someone else's money, your money personally. But bad therapy is also detrimental to kids getting turned off when they might possibly have good therapy, right? Because they've had such a negative experience. But what I would like for listeners to take away or just resonate, okay, let me rewind. What I'd like for listeners to think about is this. I always say our children are aware and they know what's going on. Torin just explained several circumstances where he was aware that activities made no sense. Now, I'm not saying as a child, Torin's perspective was good, bad, or indifferent. Maybe he doesn't realize how much it made a difference walking on those lines in those blocks, right? That was his perspective. It didn't make a difference. In hindsight, it didn't. I know, I know. But what I do think is important is that when children are disrespected in therapy or in the classroom setting, they know they're being disrespected. Don't think because they're not communicating, they're not expressing themselves, that they're not able to say, but they keep doing it. Oh, they love going there. They know when they're being disrespected. They just can't tell you, or maybe they don't even know that word. So I want to say thanks for sharing that because as a therapist, you know, I always take pride in my students having a good time and getting something productive done. You know, I don't like to waste anyone's time either. And as a therapist, I will tell listeners there is no way it should take an entire year for you to see any progress. If you have a good therapist is do, that is doing what is best for your child, you should see progress starting within the first two or three sessions. If now, you're not seeing progress, it's not your kid's fault, it's the therapist's no, fault. it is not the child's fault. Please do know that. It is not the child's fault. They need to change their method or you need to get a new therapist. Um, and I'm saying that as a therapist. 
like, I mean, it's just ridiculous that you have, well, you know, it takes so long. No, it doesn't take that long, especially for little children. Oh my gosh, for little children, you know, that early intervention stage before age six, seven, it's like, bam, 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 bam. Also, it also depends on what the goals you're looking for are. Yes. If you're like, I expect them to give them like a TED, I expect a three-year-old to give a TED talk in six weeks. You're not going to see the progress you're looking for because your expectations are unrealistic. So I'd also say, make sure your expectations are lined up with reality. Yes. Yes. All right. So we're going to end this, but I have one spontaneous question I just thought of that I would love for you to share with the listeners. Are you ready? Mm. Okay. I would just like to know, um, you know, as human beings, we all, you know, who we are is who we are, right? And we all have things that we are frustrated about and with ourselves, whether it's, oh, I hate that my hair is curly or, oh, I hate that I have short legs or whatever it is that we are disgruntled about. I would really be curious to know, Torin, what is something um, that is, what's the most frustrating thing in regards to being an autistic individual? Like if there was one thing you could say, oh, like, you know, I understand it, I accept it, but gosh, this one thing just, I wish this was not a part of it. Oh boy. I have, <laughs> I have, I have multiple. There's, there's not just one. So I have multiple. So one of them is burnout. Burnout sucks. So burnout is something that I, I suspect we've always said, I expect younger autistic individuals go through this. They just can't articulate. Burnout is often when you reach a point that your executive functioning just collapses and you start quote unquote regressing on stuff you normally do. So a verbal autistic will become semi or nonverbal, or your hygiene, or someone who normally has good hygiene, their hygiene will fall apart, or they'll be more prone to meltdowns, or all three of those. Kids do get that; they just can't articulate it. But whenever you see a sudden "quote unquote" regression, that's usually the issue. It's burnout. Yeah. So burnout sucks because I just I'm someone where I have to outwork people because I don't have like the autistic superpower. I'm not like a super genius. I'm not good with tech. I'm not. I, I suck at a lot of stuff. So I need to just outwork people. Mm-hmm. So with burnout, it makes it hard for me to outwork people. I always want to do more, 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 more. Late, in fact, over the last couple of weeks, I've had to step back from stuff because I was just mm-hmm. constantly going through cycles of burnout and was just derailing my life. So burnout sucks. Um, I wish I was better in social situations. I talk mm-hmm. good here, but overall I don't. So I don't have, I'm not as good at networking as I'd like. Mm-hmm. I'm not as good at talking. I'll just be honest. I'm not as good at talking to females, for example. As a straight man, that's kind of a problem. Mm-hmm. As a straight dude, you have to have some ability. Um, so that sucks. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't quite deal with change as much as I as well as I'd like. I deal with it okay, I guess. But like just the other day on Friday, uh, I was supposed to go to a baseball game, and that fell through. And I'm like, okay, let me just let me do what a normal person would do and just go. Let me go hit the gym instead because originally I was supposed to hit the gym the day before, but I wasn't feeling well, so I said I'm gonna hit. I'll hit it on Friday if I can't go to the game. Well, basically, I just couldn't function. My executive function just collapsed. I just I couldn't deal with the sudden jarring shift. Mm-hmm. I ended up just staying home and doing nothing. I had a bit of a mini breakdown. I just I just did nothing. I had to then end up just going to the gym the next day. Mm-hmm. And I wish I could be a bit more spontaneous so I wouldn't have to plan stuff out because I'm lazy. I'm yeah. sure a lot of parents feel this way. Like, why can't I just be more spontaneous? Why do I have to plan everything out? Well, you do, and it sucks. I'm sorry. There's, there's no good way of saying it. <laughs> I have all the planning you have to do for your kids, I got to do for myself. Because I'm 30 now. No one's going to do it for me. Yeah. 
And and your kids need to be able to need to see a model for that because they're going to have to do it when they're growing up, just so mm-hmm. you know. And that's not a tangent. That's one of the things that annoys me the most. So those are things that I really don't necessarily like per se. But I'm always someone. I'm sort of a glass half, half empty guy. It's not good. Mm-hmm. I'm always like, well, if I had this, I could be this much better. Ah, I'm always someone where I want to be better. I want more and more and more. I want to push harder. I'm very competitive. So I was going to say, actually competitive. Yeah, none of those things particularly derail my life that badly, except for the burnout. And the mm-hmm. burnout is a problem because I push myself too hard. Yeah, my life's going relatively okay right now. Mm-hmm. I, I I live by myself. I have my own apartment. It's not a great apartment. Um, I have a little bit of money coming in. Um, I make I I I make money working working with autistic people, which is fun. I make a little bit of money off my writing. I'm doing okay for myself, mm-hmm. uh, especially for a college dropout. Uh, someone who dealt with like alcoholism and things like that. I'm doing okay. I'm always someone who sees the negative. So I see a lot of negatives in autism. So I'm like, if I didn't have this, I'd be that much better. Mm-hmm. But with if I wasn't autistic, I probably wouldn't be here. Yeah. I wouldn't I wouldn't have made it this far because no one made it out of my neighborhood. I'm the only kid on my block to finish high school. No less good no less even attend college. Like that. no one on my block made it off my block. Everyone's still there. They're all kids now. They're, they're all in the same place as their parents before them were. Mm-hmm. So I'm the only person who kind of like made it out. Mm-hmm. And that's because I was autistic. I went to school in a different neighborhood because I had to go to special ed. I always, I, I didn't have friends in the neighborhood because I had no social skills. Mm-hmm. So I knew, so I didn't fall into those groups. Yeah. I always thought differently than other people because I'm on the spectrum. I always wanted more. I didn't, I didn't understand that like the odds were against me. I was just sort of tunnel visioned on my goals. Mm-hmm. I wanted to go like time I was 13. I'm like, I want to get out of my, I want to get out of the house when I'm 18. I don't want to be here anymore because I don't get along with my father. So I knew I was going away to college. At first, I didn't think I was going to go to college. I was going to move out. Then I found, I, I went to a college fair, which, which I did on my own. No one went with me. I went to my own uh, facts for stuff. I did all this because I was autistic mm-hmm. because I guess I was too stupid to know how, how much the odds were against me, I guess. And I did all that. I went to school and I got an education. I didn't quite finish, but I got an education. And I was able to do that because I was autistic. If I wasn't autistic, I would have stayed in the neighborhood like everybody else. Mm-hmm. So while there are things that are bad, I wouldn't be where I am without being autistic. It's part of my, it's the reason we say autistic and not with autism. It's part of who I am. Yes, there were challenges, but it's part of who I am. I, I, I guess I've made the most of it, I guess. You know what, Torin? I think there's nothing else to be said. And I just want to say, I think you might have got a little silver lining. Did you catch my silver lining? <laughs> you know, I'm the silver lining person. Hi. Yeah, that, that that brightness behind me is just a hundred degree heat coming through my window. Don't mind that. Oh my gosh. That's just well, hell's that's just hell's front porch. I am so glad that we were able to have this discussion and some questions were able to be answered so that parents could get insight. I am very glad that your parents got married and had you because I don't know what my life would be like without you in it now that you are here. So thank you, Torin, so very much for sharing just your life, right? Because you don't have to divulge everything. And I know that parents appreciate it. I know they learn from it. I know our listeners are going to um, be able to start shifting more of the narrative towards where we wanted to go and 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 this conversation um ne- ne- next time we're going to put you on the spot oh gosh I-, I was so i really am just i was like wow this is great i'm actually like not the one who's doing all the talking i'm sure people are tired of hearing me talk all the time i'm not i i, I love like i could do a whole q a of just questions i have for you 
on how to handle various situations. Like I've seen in education, for example, and we should do that one day. I guess for, for educators and stuff, we'll do that one day. Like because oh, you're a teacher, a we've both worked in education. Yeah, we could do. You know what? That's a really good idea, especially with um, school starting. You know, I know that this is going to be a recording that you know post later, but with school starting, this will be good. I can ask teachers to submit questions, and maybe we can. Oh, we can, well, if we well, we can do that. We 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 could definitely do that before too long, but I think it's time for us to get out of here, and that's why we're working to. Shifting that narrative around everything autism. We're shifting the narrative. See ya. Bye, Torin.